Hi everyone, uh, my name is Bob. I'm from Foundation for Change. Uh, welcome to this fortnight's episode. This is number eight uh, in our Making Sense of podcast series. Uh, before we talk about the actual topic today, I'm going to get everyone to introduce themselves. Who's on this call today? Hi everyone, Bex here. I hope you're all well. Hi everyone, Tonya here. Hi, Heather here. And Liz. We all work for Foundation and for Change. Um, so this week we are talking about endings. Um, and before I go into anything related to the topic, I wanted to actually just throw it out to you straight away and just ask you, fairly briefly, when was the first time you all came into contact with this word endings set within this kind of context? When did you first encounter this word endings? And maybe what was your response to it? Um, I'm thinking, I think probably for me as well, it was psychology for change, because I don't think when I went into therapy, I ever learned anything about endings in sort of content. So, yeah, it was probably for me the first time that I'd learned about it and thought about it as, um, as a change, as a shift, maybe, changing patterns for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. So the ending of something which may have been in your life for a long time, whether it's a relationship or a habit or a pattern. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I suppose I've been looking into endings a lot more in this context now as well. Yeah, I would, I would have to say the same. Uh, I think being in a group where we specifically had a day on, on it, it was like, okay, oh, that's clever. They, they know that we're going to be feeling, you know, um, sad or like reticent about the course ending and they're putting in things in place to kind of like help us through that and kind of like seeing it as a concept that you can actually kind of plan, that you know something's going to happen and then you can kind of plan, plan to make it, uh, a, a more positive experience than it would be if if you hadn't have thought about it or you know <laughs> bit of a spoiler alert but yeah just for people listening in so that's in a sense kind of what today's meant to do is to look at the whole kind of process of ending and a lot of people only think about the end and they don't re realize or don't think about the fact that for something to end something must have started in the first place and there's a whole sequence of steps to get to that point. So when you understand more of the theory, you can kind of plan for it a bit better. Well, on that note, the first time I ever encountered the kind of somebody talking about endings was when I was seeing a therapist. And um, she kept, um, I'd only started to, it felt like I'd only just started to see her. And she kept going on about the end. And I just couldn't understand this. And I thought, you know, being rather paranoid, I was like, oh, she doesn't like me. She wants to get rid of me. She just, you know, I hope wishing for this end to arrive. And so, yeah, I, I was a bit mystified. And she didn't really explain, to be honest. She just kept banging on about the end. Which, um, you're asking, like, why do you keep talking about the end? I want to keep seeing you. <laughs> well, she was... <laughs> So she was a proper light lie on the couch kind of therapist and if I asked anything she'd say things like yes that's interesting why did you ask that and um so I I kind of yeah I asked very little over three years there we go then I learned about it yeah no once again for me it was on psychology for change um and the idea that yeah um I suppose it's a little bit what Heather said but you have possibly some control um to end things without a feeling of discomfort afterwards instead of running away from it um and i think that was my first experience of um or understanding of what endings is in this context mm -hmm. so kind of shared amongst all of us are i know we're a bit of a small sample size but i think all of us didn't really encounter this until we're in some form of therapy or treatment or kind of psychological group. And this is really common. So most people don't ever really, I mean, I never heard that word endings, you know, to me it was just like, I'm trying to think when I would have heard the word in everyday language, like endings just kind of feels a bit unusual. But I think it was when I started doing this kind of work. Um, and I think most people, you know, they encounter it then and then they only really think about it in the context of, ending treatment or um, 
ending therapy. So they don't really think about the big, big, big end that we're going to talk about next episode where we're talking about, well, that, but I won't say too much about it. Um, but they also don't really talk about endings in the context of like the lots of the other things. And if you think about it, we experience endings like a lot during our lives. And one of the things that we do on this wonderful Psychology of Change course on this day is to get people to start the day by brainstorming all of the different types of endings they can think of on the board. And there are tons. And it's like, you know, some people write the ending of a book or some people write the ending of taking drink and drugs. Some people it's the end of a relationship. Some people end of school. Some people end of childhood. Some people, when things happen to them as kids, you know, the end of innocence, you know, they're like, actually, when you start to dig into the topic, there are lots and lots and lots and lots of endings. Um, and like I said earlier, I mean, I think what's really important is this idea of, yeah, for something to have started, uh, sorry, for something to have ended, there must be some kind of beginning to it. And I think that what we're looking at today is this cycle that I'm really, really, really fond of um, that explains the process kind of from beginning to end. And I make it sound like, I mean, it is a bit of a linear um, model, but it's also, it's circular. It's, it's, it's kind of the visual, the diagram of it is a circle. Um, and it's called the Gestalt Cycle of Experience. Um, and the reason that I wanted to talk about this today is that by developing an understanding of this whole process and understanding of the different stages that you go through when you know, you've started something and then you're kind of doing it and then you're coming to the end of it, it's obviously a bit more than that, a um, bit more than just beginning, middle and end, um, we can start to understand the importance of finishing things we can start to understand what the impact of not finishing things is. Um, we can also, you know, think twice. I mean, I think this is quite a big thing for me. Think twice about whether to start something in the first place. <laughs> I think when I first understood this theory, it's like, oh my God, there's so many things that I started. I actually had no intention of finishing it, but they've just kind of weighed down and become this burden on my shoulders. So why the hell am I starting these things in the first place? Um, and I think the final thing is that is, you know, when you start understanding the cycle, it, one of the things they talk a lot about is this idea of unfinished business um, and trying to get us to start thinking about how we can, I guess, finish what's unfinished. Yeah. So um, we're going to go straight into a bit of theory. Um, this theory that I'm going to talk about is called the Gestalt Cycle of Experience. Um, like kind of most models, you know, it's, describes and illustrates the kind of ideal situation and I guess in a way this is what this kind of frames the discussion today as we look at what is an ideal process and then what gets in the way of that you know like okay we can have all these lovely models and they look nice and you know there's kind of lots of circles and arrows and all these models but life is messy and life is complicated and lots of stuff kind of isn't quite as neat as it's represented on these models okay Take a breath. Okay, so um, this, I have to say that actually it's much easier if you're listening to this, if there's any way of you accessing the web page or the handout so you can actually have this visual when you're listening, it's really, really, really helpful. Um, but I am going to try to kind of um, also describe it just in case you're walking down the street and if you are and you're listening, kind of focus on where you're going rather than trying to um, look at your phone, trying to look at a, a model. This model is called the Gestalt Cycle of Experience. I'm not going to talk too much about what Gestalt is. It's a form of psychotherapy that was started in the 1940s and 50s, and we'll probably do like an episode on it in, at some point in the future. Um, but this is where that comes from. Um, and one of the things that they emphasize a lot in Gestalt is this idea of completion. So this idea of um, wholeness. And so I guess very crudely, if you have a kind of, I'm trying to think of a good way of describing this, if you've got like something that starts and doesn't quite complete, it's unfinished, it's unclosed. Um, and what they try to really emphasize and cash out is this idea of kind of like closing loops. I always think of it as kind of closing a loop, okay? Closing the circle. So and what they say in this um, theory is that we have tons of these cycles in operation at any moment. Okay, some of them can be, you know, momentary, like 20 minutes or 20 seconds. Some of them might be, you know, a 10 week course. Something might be like, I don't know, 15 year relationship. Okay, 
The Gestaltists say that this applies to every form of experience. Okay, so again, picture a circle. Right at the bottom of the circle is something called the fertile void. And so that quite often freaks people out a bit because I think to some people the idea of a void is a bit scary. But the key word here is fertile. So ideally, you know, not ideally, but at this space, it's empty, but there is space and there's ground for things to happen. Okay, it's kind of fertile for experience. The next part of the loop, so if we're going clockwise, from the bottom. So we start at six o'clock and then start going up. So probably about seven-ish, um, you've got sensation. Okay, I'll go through all the points and then we'll, we'll break it down with, with an example. So we have the fertile void, we have sensation. The next stage up around kind of nine o'clock is, is awareness. Keep going around, probably about 10 o'clock is this word mobilization. About 11 o'clock is action. 12 o'clock, really important time or really important point on this, this cycle is contact. We'll talk more about that later on. And then keep going around the other side. So probably about 2 p.m. or 2 o'clock, we've got satisfaction. Keep going down around 4 o'clock, we've got withdrawal. And then we go back to 6 o'clock, which is back to the fertile void. Okay. So I think what would be really useful is if I, um, I always do this on our course, is let's start with a very, very simple example of um, having a sandwich, okay? And I'll explain the process from beginning to end. So that, I mean, that in itself is quite an interesting example because I think a lot of people think, well, you just make a sandwich, then you eat it. You know, they don't kind of think about all the different steps involved. So you're gonna break it down. Um, and then what we can do a bit later on is to look at what are the blocks which get in the way of those different stages, okay? What gets in the way of being able to complete the cycle? So anything that's not completed means that something's not finished. So, um, fertile void, sitting around at home in lockdown, twiddling my thumbs or doing whatever I'm doing. Um, and then at some point, so this is the first bit, sensations. At some point, my stomach rumbles okay so quite often like it starts to happen before i'm even necessarily aware of it before i even put words to it so um stomach rumbles sensation keep going up the next stage is awareness so this is where i put thoughts and words to the sensation okay so stomach rumbles my mind kicks in and it's like oh i'm hungry haven't eaten for like seven hours actually i'm not even hungry i'm really starving so become aware of what that bodily sensation means. And if you think about it, the sensation, you know, your body is highlighting a need. Yeah. So awareness is me becoming clear about what that need is. And then I start to mobilize. So mobilize is to start kind of going into planning. So I start thinking like, oh, what have we got in the fridge? Oh my God, amazing. I've got this really, really nice cheddar and I've got this really like amazing mayo really ripe tomatoes and black pepper and all this kind of stuff that's just going to make this incredible sandwich. So I've dreamed the sandwich up in my head. The next stage is action. So I'd like run to the kitchen and basically take action. Okay. So I make the sandwich, put it together, uh, put it on a plate and then basically come back to my living room and sit down and I eat my sandwich. So this is the contact stage. So this is where I'm eating my sandwich, fully in contact with it, tasting that cheddar and kind of feeling like the juice of these tomatoes, like black pepper, kind of like just giving a bit of a kick and all this stuff. Finish the sandwich. After I finish the sandwich, I go on down the cycle. So then I kind of move to satisfaction. So satisfaction is sandwich is finished, tummy is full, I'm happy because this original need for hunger is gone. And I just feel satisfied and I may like just lie down, I may feel full, might enjoy feeling full and may even take a nap. <laughs> okay. And then um, after that, when, when you kind of get satisfaction, the final stage is withdrawal. And again, a lot of people associate that with withdrawal from drinking drugs, but this is just the original sensation and the original need withdraws because it's been met and you go back to this fertile void. Okay. Great. Got it? Got it.
enjoying that sandwich Ooh. nicely hungry feeling hungry yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so so yeah so that's that's kind of like an ideal situation now where things go wrong is at every stage or pretty much every stage of the cycle there are places where interruptions could happen okay and we'll go through what those different things are and again if you think about like any interruption that happens it kind of stops the cycle from moving on to the next stage it's almost like there's kind of levels and it kind of stops you going up to the next level um, and so anytime that there's an interruption the cycle doesn't get completed which effectively is kind of an unfinished gestalt and a gestalt kind of like very loosely means um whole yeah i probably get nailed by lots of people that can speak german because i think the translation is far more sophisticated than that it's whole as in w-h-o-l yes yeah yeah thank you yeah not Hole as in the ground like my door no. yeah okay so just sticking with, are we okay to stick with the sandwich let's stick with the sandwich okay so um fertile void you know sitting around this first sensation if you remember was stomach rumbling and starting to growl so that's sensation so if i mean it's quite an extreme example but if you're somebody that is very dissociated from your body because of past trauma maybe you've got an eating disorder or have had or maybe some kind of you know you've been taking dissociative drugs for you know decades your connection to your body is going to be a bit distorted you may be very dissociated from your body and so you may be unable to feel your own physical sensations okay so you don't you know in a way that's that is extreme but it's like you have no chance of that cycle ever even going in you know not even halfway because you're hitting a hurdle at the first point okay the second stage is, um, if you remember awareness, when you start becoming aware of like, oh my God, I'm really hungry. Um, this is where core beliefs kick in, or I mean, in Gestalt, they call them introjects. And if you think about like, I was thinking of like injection, when you're kind of like putting something in. So introjection is you taking something in. So we take in lots of beliefs and, and, and um, yeah, I guess kind of, core beliefs from outside sometimes from parents sometimes from society so at this stage we might feel hungry but then the mind starts kicking in with these core beliefs which might say something like oh my god i shouldn't feel hungry i eat too much i'm overweight i'm not thin enough yeah um and and so like if you start if the, the mind is kicking in and creating a bit of a block then chances are chances of you getting up and making that sandwich are pretty minimal okay the next stage if you keep going so mobilization was the next stage so if you hit the first one sensation great i'm hungry i know what that is the next stage is mobilization so one of the biggest blocks here is like overthinking or procrastinating so somebody might start thinking like oh i could eat that like oh but i could eat that and, and oh maybe I'm going to eat this. Do I really want a sandwich? You know, I'm not really sure I really do want a sandwich. What, what do I, you know, start really like overthinking something. Um, and so that's where like quite often procrastination just really gets in the way because it means that you, you don't really take action. Yeah, that can apply to like obviously a ton of things. Um, kind of classic one is like if you wanted to do a course, for instance, you might just spend weeks and weeks and weeks researching you never actually come to a decision and you never actually like find one thing to do and then take action and do it okay yeah so um so that's that stage the next stage is so you you've you've reached um it's like some kind of um obstacle course or something it's like you you know pass that obstacle get to the next one you're making your killer sandwich this is action you've made the sandwich you then take it to go and eat but and i completely put my hands up to this, particularly when I'm in the office, of just like sitting down, you know, with some food and working at the same time as eating. Yeah. And before I know it, like I've eaten my whole meal, like I know I've eaten it because the plate's empty, my stomach's full, but I haven't even tasted it. Yeah, yeah we're all guilty of that, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, sometimes eating lunch, walking down the road or something like yeah. that, you know. 
yeah, yeah. Even having no contact with none, none at all. We've just eaten. Yeah, literally filling a hole. Yeah. Um, Heather has something called the three-hour muesli in our office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but are you in contact with it for three hours? Yes. Wow. Delivering every bite. Yeah. Because um, I got no teeth to eat it. <laughs> it slows you down. Um, so so yeah so you know and I hate that because sometimes like I've brought in really bloody amazing food and then it's just like oh, I didn't even taste it. It's just gone. Um, so yeah so you know there's something where like we don't really have contact with what we're doing and therefore if you don't have contact with it you're not going to feel satisfied yeah not in that true sense of like oh my god I feel so satisfied I had this thing felt hungry had this nice food um ate it savored it and then um you know and then had the sandwich and had full contact with it and just you know loved it um, I was just kind of paused slowing down there because I was just remembering one of the exercises I used to do quite a while back. <laughs> it's quite a funny story. I used to, I used to do this course, um, it was on the anxiety day, and one of the exercises that I used to do after lunchtime was give people a piece of chocolate. And so I used to think like, oh, it's really nice, it's after lunch, it's like a little sweet thing for people to have. And so we would make it a bit of a mindfulness exercise. So I'd like get people to put their hand out, put like a bit of tissue or something and then pass around this piece of chocolate and one day like I bought this orange and black burnt toffee crisp chocolate or something so I just thought I'd be fancy so I kind of like handed it around to everyone so the idea of this exercise was like them to put it into them like just to look at it first in great detail then to put it into their mouths and they're not allowed to chew it and they just have to like experience it on their tongue and experience all the flavors and experience the kind of the burnt toffee starting to come through in like great, great, great detail. So, um, you know, it, it's kind of worked sometimes, but I remember one group like, oh my God, this taste of wine. <laughs> this whole group. Gosh. <laughs> started to get all these, uh, not triggers, but like kind of cravings for like red wine, because apparently this chocolate really tasted it. <laughs> this red wine. Anyway, like my lesson. Um, so, where were we? And going back to um, contact, so we've not had contact with the sandwich, we don't feel satisfied. And then, so yeah, so the kind of the feeling withdraws, but we don't necessarily complete the cycle because it's, we kind of half complete it, or we kind of, we complete it, but it's not as satisfying. It's not completed in as satisfying a way. Okay. So that's the Gestalt cycle in a really straightforward example. Any thoughts? Yeah, I know. I think we were sort of discussing this the other day. And I think um, there's something uh, really important about this cycle for myself, um, understanding this, is um, the kind of like presence of mind you have while you're going through that cycle. Something like eating a sandwich. Um, so for instance, how like how often do we actually ever think about what we eat, how we do it, the process we go through to do it, the process of kind of like, you know, getting your Sainsbury shopping. I think they call it mindfulness nowadays. The idea that you kind of like are, have an awareness um, at all times of what it is you're doing. And I think it really helped me understand uh, the Gestalt cycle in terms of uh, an awareness of your actions and what you're doing. Um, which in turn, it keeps you connected to kind of like, you know, what's going on emotionally. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason mindfulness has become so popular because it's just saying exactly that. Like savoring your experiences rather than rushing through them. And actually they remind me, because one of the things I forgot to say at the contact stage is that I think particularly in like Western culture, um, or kind of like modern Western culture, I think a lot of people don't allow themselves to to rest in that satisfaction stage. You know, like I really love the idea of a siesta and, and you know, wish we, could, we kind of had that culture in some ways, because I think it's really natural to like have a massive meal and then just lie down and just, um, you know, just kind of nap because your stomach's doing, you know, and you're, you're digesting the food. But I think what, what tends to happen is that people feel like you can't relax. You need to be productive. You need to do more. You need to achieve more. 
Um, and so people quite often like rush from contact to contact to contact rather than I'm just allowing themselves to be. Hmm? I'm quite guilty of that. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, on quite a lot of levels. So, and like food, especially, really guilty mm-hmm. with that. I never really sit down and enjoy that. And um, yeah, quite a lot, quite a lot of things are sort of, we're not in the moment. It's like we don't let ourselves be in the moment. Or for me, I should say we. I don't let myself be in the moment mm. but a, a lot of the time. Mm. Uh, the only thing I was thinking, uh, you know, the point I was going to make uh, was that it's also very hard because we are bombarded with, with kind of messages about, you know, Uber, uh, not Uber, you know, Uber Eats or, you know, Deliveroo or, you know, just fast food. It just goes like, yeah, you can have it now. But there's kind of weird, like, there is no real connection. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like, there you go. You have it now. You have it now. But it, it, it's a, it's it's a difficult relationship with that thing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you when you were talking. Yeah, it's almost a bit like um, it, that instant gratification culture. So, like, have this now and have it cheaper, and then you get it, and then it's like going onto social media, and then like you know shopping online, and then looking for the next thrill. It's it is. Sorry, I hadn't really sort of expressed myself very well because it is. It's just like it promises that that satisfaction you know but never quite delivers so people are constantly chasing a promise of like this thing that will make them you know some you know feel like better mm. it never quite kind of happens mm-hmm. um so yeah i feel like it yeah i don't want to go too too off the subject but that's what i was thinking about yeah yeah um the other thing, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time because it was just be this whole podcast of me talking. So one other, I want to kind of take this part a bit more. But I think that, I mean, people, I think, are familiar with our work, the nature of our work, which is about people coming onto courses, generally, apart from this. Um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting to look at the cycle within the context of, for instance, doing one of our courses. And I think it's a good illustration because, you know, the sandwich takes what? 20 minutes to eat or 15 minutes or if it's muesli three hours for some people um but <laughs> uh, i thought i was a slow eater um but i think it's useful to illustrate it with this example because it gives an example of how that contact phase can be 10 weeks long in this case um and kind of looking at those different stages in a different context so If, for instance, you were somebody who has recently finished treatment for substance misuse and you're starting to think about what you want to do next in your life and you're starting to kind of connect to feelings and at some point sitting around and, you know, you have this kind of sensation of like your brain developing teeth and wanting to kind of, you know, eat something and, and, you know, you want to stimulate your brain. So you think, oh, I really fancy learning something. Um... You, that's the awareness. You mobilize, you start researching and you start Googling and you start and you come across Foundation for Change as an example. Um, you see one of the courses, you take action. So you fill in the online application form, we get in touch, blah, 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 you know, get assessed, come onto the um, Psychology for Change course in this case. So this contact period can be 10 weeks. Yeah. So it's like, how much of that course were you in contact with? It could be like rehab or it could be a day program. It could be anything like how much during that time were you emotionally present? How much were you engaged with the content? How much did you give of yourself? Yeah. And again, you know, life is tough. Like I get that. Um, You know, what this is kind of saying is, yeah, like, seize every single day and give it your all. It's not as easy as that. But um, what we try to get people to do is to kind of aim for that, I guess. What can happen is that if somebody finishes the course or drop, doesn't fin- sorry, doesn't finish the course and drops out at stage uh, week three or four or something, is that they started the course, they may have been having contact with it, and then for whatever reason they drop out. Okay, so the loop is left unfinished. What, how do you think that might sit with people? I think uncomfortable. It might make you feel sort of bad about yourself or, yeah. Well, that's for me. Yeah, it would probably make me feel bad. Why couldn't I do it? Mm-hmm. Particularly if you have a history of not completing things. Yeah. Like, it's another thing I can't finish. Well, you, I suppose you try and think of other reasons that why you haven't finished it. 
trying to justify maybe i don't know you know why but the reason is do you know do you know what i mean yeah i mean that's a bit of a cognitive dissonance thing so somebody might like you know not be able to finish the course because they found it too emotionally challenging or something yeah but they might rationalize it and just think like oh well, it's a shit course anyway that's what i meant yeah that's exactly what i meant yeah, yeah. so yeah so that totally happens um one of the things that they talk about in Gestalt is this idea of like unfinished loops leading to regret. Yeah. Um, and again, just a quick foray into Jungian psychology. Jung talks about this term psychic energy. Has people heard of that? I haven't. Okay. So psychic, people think psychic energy means like, oh my God, psychic can, you know, read the future or whatever. It's not that. So psychic energy, psyche is the mind. So it's kind of like almost like the energy of the mind. Yeah. Um, and so one of the ways that I illustrate this as an example is like, you know, we have every day like a finite amount of psychic energy. So you know that feeling if you do a course or even if you're facilitating a course, one of our courses, and at the end of the day, you're not physically tired, but mentally you're just like fried. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's like your psychic energy is depleted, and the only thing that's going to help is like basically going to bed and recharging and kind of, you know, the next day being fresh again. But what they say is that any gestalt cycle or any loop which is left unfinished zaps away at our psychic energy. Yeah, there's a bit of our kind of psyche that wants to close that loop. Like a drain on our energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a kind of, a, I don't know, an engine or something with loads of leaks. Yeah. And so what the brain will try to do is it will try to complete it in different ways. So they, I mean, this is, Gestalt kind of theory. So they say when people have nightmares or when they have like constant dreams about the same thing, it's their brain keeping on revisiting a certain thing, trying to process it in order to complete it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I've definitely had dreams like that, you know, where you kind of wake up and they're really, yeah, just dreams are kind of like oh well i haven't done that and you replay it over in your mind and you wake up with the feeling in the morning oh so that's all that's my psychic energy being depleted is it yeah and it's like your psychic energy is going into a particular place so i was thinking just now actually i know like if i've got like a training day for instance which is brand new and i haven't done it you know i've never done it before like the process has started because the, the loop has started in terms of me doing all the prep and stuff and so, for instance, it's two weeks until I do the day. Those two weeks, quite often I dream about that. My mind just keeps going to that topic or that thing. If I'm daydreaming or if I'm cooking, like it keeps going there until I've done the day. The loop gets closed. My mind doesn't go there anymore. Yeah. Totally <laughs> get that. Yeah, I think that's like we've all kind of gone, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> facilitation dreams <laughs> so so yeah so what they're saying is that when things are unfinished a part of our mind keeps going back to that point yeah and i remember when i was 13 i, I remember meeting these two um older women and i was on a cheese tour of holland as a 13 year old cycling around to gouda and edam um, and other places and i remember meeting these two women and asking them why they were doing this and one of them said <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting laughed at massively. Visual. <laughs> yeah. He's still in Holland. Um, and um, I was talking to these women, and then one of them said, I said, Why are you doing this now? And she was just like, Because I, I don't want to fail the rocking chair test. I don't want to be when I'm oldest looking back on my life and thinking, like, oh, I wish I'd done that, or I wish I'd said that, or I wish, you know. And, and that's always, I mean, it stuck with me as a 13 year old, but like in the context of Gestalt, it's always been interesting because I think that sometimes, I mean, it's not gonna happen every time, but you know, if you didn't finish this course in this example, maybe in three years time, you might still be thinking, oh, I wonder what I would have learned if I'd have stayed, or I wonder what would have happened if I'd have finished, or you, know, or you could have even finished, um, but have been someone who didn't say a thing for 10 weeks. So you didn't really fully have contact with the course. Your regret might be, or oh, I wish I'd said more of myself, or I wish I'd taken more risks. 
So all of these, I wish, I wish, I wish, you know, the regrets, they say, this is very crudely, but it's like, that's because of gestalt's not being completed. Mm. I guess that kind of thing of like utilizing the opportunities that you've got or that you're in. And then, and then once they've gone, they've kind of gone. So you're kind of left with that kind of regret that you could, should have done more or could have done more. And, mm -hmm. and yeah. Yeah. Beat yourself up about it. Yeah. I think it's interesting. It says something about like doing things at the right time, like starting things when you're ready for something, because the likelihood is that you will finish rather than picking up things because someone said you should do it or picking up things because you feel you should do it and you not personally being ready and then starting it and not finishing it. And that uses a lot of the, sorry, Liz, that uses a lot of that psych energy as well, doesn't it, constantly? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did I interrupt you, Liz? No. Oh, I thought you said something. It was Bex. Oh, Bex, sorry. Are you going to say something? Uh, no, I was just going to say it's an interesting point. You can edit that bit out. Sorry. Um, so just, to, yeah, I mean, let's kind of um, just pause for a second there in terms of like theory and stuff. But like, what do you make of all this? How is this landing with you? The risk of sounding like a therapist. How does this land? <laughs> I, you know, like, I like, I like a lot of what, what it's saying. It, it makes total sense. That, that, you know, for so many people, um, life is full of frustrations and, and, and regrets and, you know, um, feelings that, that you didn't, didn't quite live in a way that you, you wanted to. And then, I mean, you know, it's that thing they always say when they interview people when they're about to die, you know, and they, they ask them what, you know, what they regret doing. And it, and it, and it's always comes out the top three are always things like spend more time with people I care about and not give, give a fuck about what people think about me and mm -hmm. have more fun. You know, people never go, Oh, I wish I'd, I'd got further up the career ladder and uh, I wish I'd had a different car because, you know, the model I had was just not powerful enough. You know, people never say things like that, or I wish I'd chosen different colored curtains. They really don't. And they talk about, exactly these things so uh, you know that that's almost like an evidence base isn't it it's like mm -hmm. we know we know from from people's last words that the that, that these are the things that matter mm. it really connects to what we talked about last time doesn't it authenticity mm, yeah uh, you know and just trying to like live a life in accordance with the things that are important to you not the things that you think you should be doing or you should be totally and i think you know it's 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 kind of interesting because i think for a lot of people they really struggle to kind of be who they are they will you know use alcohol or drugs to to to, to help them manage being in the world because it's really painful and actually going through that process can um can really help people you know it gives people a kind of clarity if people can get through the other the other end of of treatment and so on people are actually you know do have a commitment to to living more authentically than they did before it's a very mm -hmm. sort of very life-changing moment i mean th this is talked about a lot it was talked a lot about a lot very early into lockdown people kind of assumed that everybody would emerge all kind of committed to community and doing good for mankind and it doesn't hasn't quite worked out that way yet uh, i don't think um it's probably a bit early to tell but you know th there is a sort of search for meaning Mm -hmm. and, and that this totally connects to that. that, that I think people really do crave uh, to, to live a way that has meaning to them. Very good book called Man's Search for Meaning, which the title is not great, but it's just, it's very much about that. Yeah, so you can probably tell when it was uh, written and published, can't you? <laughs> the human search for meaning. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's interesting as well. It's one of those, when I first came across this theory, it just made sense of lots of other things. So I remember like being around 12 step for a long time because of work and 
and then kind of like understanding one of what, I don't know what step it is, but this, the step of kind of making amends, I just suddenly understood that very differently because at first I just thought, my God, like, like what if somebody doesn't want like somebody from the past to come up to them and start making amends? You know, I kind of didn't really understand that it was way more nuanced than I understood it to be. But this idea of kind of putting things to bed or putting a full stop after something, this whole kind of making amends, I think it's very much about trying to close those loops. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think um, when I was kind of learning about that, it was very much like realising that it's a personal thing, not, not something that you're doing for, for someone else. It's very much like for, your, for yourself to be aware of your kind of your actions and what you've done to that other person and but not specifically because you want them to to accept your your you know apology or your amends you know you can't you can't presume that they're going to accept that you've got to kind of just put it out there anyway um as a form of kind of like as a form of closure, I guess, of being like aware of, of actions that you've done and that you're trying to, um, you know, make them better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that's my takeaway from this as well, because um, I suppose I was sort of saying it to begin with, but I, I don't know if anything ends, but I understand it in relevance to closing to a loop is that you might not be able to close it all the way where you walk away and everything's peachy keen and you know you've had this really perfect end ending with somebody maybe a friendship whatever it may be maybe a relationship but i think heather's point is really important because actually to avoid that regret you have taken steps to kind of close things in a way which number one is relatively mature you've kind of um, been the one to say sorry or say whatever it is you need to say. Um, and even if that isn't taken up and somebody comes back and goes, yeah, it's fine, we're, we're all cool now. And it's like, no, I, I can't speak to you quite yet. You have, um, you, you won't be carrying around that same feeling of regret because you know you've done something in order to try and close that loop. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it's this perfect kind of thing where, you know, um, you, have, you can always have the perfect ending. Um, and I think that's something we all pretty much agree on, isn't it? Because um, stuff happens which is out of your control sometimes. And I know things have happened in my life, my mate's lives, where, you know, things are all right. And then something just comes out the blue and you know, just takes you down and it changes your life and endings are left, right and center. And, and next thing you know, you're somewhere else um, in your life entirely with all these unfinished loops. Um, and so what I think I'm trying to say is like, yes, coming back to those and trying to end them in a way where you won't get this perfect kind of like, I hate the word closure, but I'm going to say it, perfect closure, but you have put things in place um, where you have done what you can. I think this is it. I mean, I, I really think it's very much about like not beating yourself up for like not having the perfect ending every time. But I think like hopefully just listening to this gets people to get them to reflect on their relationship to endings. Because, you know, quite often, like, I hear people say, like, oh, I really hate endings, you know, I hate saying goodbye, you know, I just kind of, like, leave wherever the group and just kind of slip out quietly, whatever. Or there's a whole load of other, like, behaviour of, you know, not showing up to something, which is the end or whatever. But I think, um, I think there's absolutely something about trying to, like, understanding this theory and tr when you can, trying to understand that in as healthy a way as possible. And just to give an example, because this is really relevant for me, so... I was living for somewhere with somebody for seven years, a kind of flatmate. Um, and then because of COVID and just because of kind of like relationship stuff, I decided to move in with my partner. But like, you know, seven years is such a long time. And this is a couple of weeks ago. And I hadn't, um, it's the longest I've ever lived anywhere as an adult. And so much has happened during that time. And we just had this really, really lovely lunch. And I think I could have been someone who maybe avoided the lunch or had the lunch and kept conversation very surface, 
just because of like feeling really, really uncomfortable with endings. But like, I was quite deliberate about like wanting to really acknowledge what this period had meant for me. And I think she was the same. So it turned out to be this really, really lovely ending where we both kind of reminisced over seven years and it was very emotional and it was very real. But if I was somebody who couldn't do that or really struggle with endings, yeah, I would have just run for the trees. And it's knowing this theory which helped me do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was reading about endings before we come on here and you just say, and it's like, it's a patterns in our life. And when an ending comes, we have to sort of, you know, we have to establish new patterns. And that is sort of, you know, it means it's implementing change. So I was just thinking when you was talking, I was thinking about that and you sort of move. And even if we, we know an ending is coming and if we're looking forward to it, it's still, it still is, can be quite stressful because it's all reorganization and implementing new patterns mm -hmm. and new ways of sort of a new way of being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so many people want to stay in that kind of comfortable comfort zone of familiarity. Mm. I mean, bringing it to recovery, that is a massive thing to, 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 to be when you're trying to stop use, using and ha having those coping mechanisms that you kind of are really destructive and, and kind of like moving on from that. And, and you are you as a person being this person that, you know, took, took lots of drugs to being this person that's like, you don't kind of know yourself anymore. That, that's cool. that is really scary. It is, it is quite terrifying. Mm -hmm. And it's that whole thing of like, not knowing that, that there is an ending. You want that ending. You want, you want to kind of be this healthy, kind of normal person, you know, that, that that's kind of your end thing, but actually getting there because you're so used to having like this instant gratification or the instant control of your feelings, you know, it's kind of a really long process. And, you know, I, I didn't, um, you know, I relapsed loads. So it's like never knowing exactly that when was the last time I was going to, you know, use, it was like, is that, is this going to be the last time, you know, it's like not knowing that, that the ending's kind of happening and having that kind of process, of, of of I mean yeah I was saying earlier I I had I had quite um, a few years of recovery and, and then I and then I got rid of these super techs that I had like stashed in the house that I had no you know intention of using but it was that kind of thing of like well what if I did what if I happened to and there was an emergency mm. and you know it was a kind of like uh, you know, a, a, a kind of reticence I get, a reservation, which I didn't think I was having a reservation about using, because I knew I didn't want to use it anymore. But but it was like not knowing that that was going to be the end. And it wasn't until a few years, then I actually threw them away. And once I threw them away, it was like, it did feel like an end, like that was properly, like I'd kind of moved on from not even thinking that, that I needed that as an emergency. It just wasn't part of my mm -hmm. life anymore. So it was very much that kind of like an ending of a part of my life. I think it's really interesting because I think like one of the criticisms I have and I think we share of, of treatment is that I think there's such a focus on stopping the drink and the drugs. Just like stop the drugs, stop the drugs. You know, there's no real kind of like sense of what does it mean? Like when you stop the drugs or the alcohol and there's an ending there, like it's so scary because this, the frontier beyond that is so unknown. And I yeah. think like, yeah, and I think there's just something about also... Um, you know, the other thing, again, just bringing it back into this kind of gestalt through this, looking at it through a gestalt lens, you know, they would say that if you haven't really grieved the end of this relationship to your drugs and the alcohol and looked at the kind of the positives and the negatives, quite often treatment gets you to only really think about the fact that it's bad, it's bad, it's fucking your life up and actually dismisses the fact that it was a really big part of your identity. It was a coping mechanism. It was a survival mechanism. Loads of your mates were tied up with using, like there were lots of things that are kind of, you know, positive in inverted commas, but some not inverted commas that need to be acknowledged and mourned and then really put to bed to get that closure, yeah. which quite often doesn't happen. Mm. So it's like people stay stuck in, you know, one foot in this kind of 
world of addiction and one foot in this recovery. And I'm not even talking about relapsing. I'm just talking about like a mental state. Yeah. A bit like, um, you know, those stories of people whose mothers die or something and they keep all their clothes in, in the wardrobe. A bit mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, Rebecca. Um, um, the film, if anybody's seen Rebecca, um, which is a wonderful film. But, you know, um, all Mrs. All, all the first Rebecca's clothes are in the wardrobe in this pristine way and it's all really creepy because yeah. her presence is still there. And there's something really kind of profound about that, you know, relationship um, between the, the, in this case, the dead people, but it's, it's about something that's not been properly mourned. It, I mean, I feel like, gosh, I feel like we could go on. I know, Bob, you want to keep it on, um, on topic on, and talking about, um, kind of, um, gestalt and theory and psychology. But, you know, actually, if we think about, you know, haunting and ghosts and all this kind of return of things that have not been properly let go of. You know, it runs through everything, lots of books and art and, you know, films and, and ideas about things not properly, properly waved goodbye to. Well, this is a teaser for next episode. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things we're going to be talking about is this idea of kind of existential anxiety. And, you know, one of the things that you can look at this belief in ghosts or the afterlife or spirits and stuff like that is because people don't want to acknowledge that actually the end is the end. And so it's much easier to believe like, no, it's not, you know, there's this special place or like people are there like watching over us like forever. And I'm just, I've always been a bit like, I don't want my grand to be looking at some of the shit that I do. Or <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so, so anyway, so it's this idea of like not being able to fully let go. So whether it's somebody who's died in some freak accident and you keep this room as a shrine, or whether it's that you believe in kind of ghosts and spirits and things because actually you don't want to see the ending as the ending. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Bex, just really quickly, one of the things I was going to say when you started and you were saying like, oh, I don't really believe in endings. And, you know, it's just like, just like a shift in energy. So ending theorists would say, that's because of you. you haven't got a healthy relationship with endings. You don't want to believe that there are endings. I probably don't have a healthy relationship <laughs> with endings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So cool. So we should probably wrap this up, um, giving a bit of a taste of what's to come, but really hope that like people, you know, really do look at the cycle. I think having a visual is far more effective than just hearing us talk about it. Um, and read the handout. But yeah, I would hope that this gets you to really reflect on your relationship to endings and think about the kinds of loops that are unfinished in your life. Um, and it's a bit of a kind of banal example, but I remember again, kind of when online courses first became like free, I got really obsessed and I was like signing myself up for all these courses, but then got really overwhelmed and stressed because suddenly I had like all of these unfinished things that I was never going to finish and started to kind of feel a bit crap about myself. And now I'm just like, I'm not going to start something unless I think I'm going to finish it. Yeah. So really simple example, but just like, hopefully it gets you to also think about what are you starting? Are you in the right place to be starting it? Do you want to actually start it? Yeah, that's really helpful. If not, go and have a nap. <laughs> Brilliant piece yeah. of advice. Yeah. More siestas. Naps are underrated. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Catch you next time. <laughs>